Hey, good morning, folks. Welcome to church. Let me add my welcome to Graham's. And I, I want to, would you folks help join me in welcoming our online congregation? Welcome, Church Online. Let's, let's hear it for them. So good to have you connecting, Church Online. Uh, we love you. You're very much part of our church family. Uh, and we're really grateful to, I know that Drew and Cobby are hosting you guys today, and so, so glad that you're very much part of our church, even though they might be distant, maybe you're, list, you're connecting in from various parts of the world, we see you as part of our congregation, welcome. And uh, hey, welcome everyone here, if you're visiting for the first time, it's a joy to have you connecting. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and uh, we love the Bible, we, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and it has this incredible habit that whenever you open it, it just speaks right into your heart in a way that only God could speak. So that's what we're going to do today. And if you're unfamiliar with church, if this is a new place for you and you're, you're sitting here thinking, whoa, what's this thing, church? So glad you're here. Glad you're a little bit freaked out. So pleased you're here. Hang in there. God's got a plan for you. And I really believe you're going to be encouraged. Let's pray. Ask God to speak to us. Lord, you know everyone here today. You know everyone here in person. You know those joining online, and you also know the thousands upon thousands who will listen to the podcasts in the days and weeks and even months ahead. I'm asking God that in the way only you can, God, would you speak just now? Would you speak through the Bible? Would you speak through what you've placed in my heart? And God, would you come and meet with people? I pray for anyone today who doesn't yet know you, that today, this would be the day they meet God, that they would leave here with a relationship with God, the Creator. And I pray for each one of us, God, you'd touch our lives, take us on our journey, build our faith, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we're in a, a series entitled, Thank God It's Monday. And uh, that's not my way as a pastor, because Monday's my day off. That's not me saying on Monday morning, oh, thank God it's Monday, all right? That's not, nothing to do with me. This is to do with you folks. It's to do with, hey, we do the church thing, we do the God thing on a Sunday, that's great. But I want you to do the God thing on the Monday and all the way through the rest. In fact, 24-7, let's just do the God thing. That God would feature in the way we interact with our spouses and the way we interact in our family life. God would feature hugely in the way we interact in our workplace or among our uh, student friends. That basically God would, we would be the real deal. We wouldn't be something in private that we're not in public. And so we want to equip the church to live. And the world is crying out for authentic Christianity. It's crying out for the real deal. People who really believe this and who live like they believe it, not just say like they believe it. Yeah? yeah? Thank you for your enthusiasm. But it's an important point. Okay. There was a new lawyer and he'd just, been, he'd just started his own legal practice. And he was really excited and he, he was aware that, man... I've got to make this work. I've got to get some clients. I've got to get this going. And he, he, so he, he just got his new office and in walked a guy. And uh, he saw him coming into the reception area. And he thought, right, I've got to make a good impression. I know, I'll look busy. So he grabs his, his phone and picks up the phone and pretends to have an important phone conversation. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, let's, let's do the deal next week. Yeah, I think three million should do the deal. That's, that's great. We'll get Harry from Glasgow to come over and help with the negotiation. And I'll come myself and, and make sure that we, we get it signed off in time. All right, all the best. I need to go. There's someone coming in. Thank you, bye. And he hung up the phone. And he turned to the guy who just walked in and said, oh, so sorry. Welcome. How can I help you? 
And the guy said, no, no, I'm here to help you. I'm from BT. I need to collect, connect your phone line. <laughs> okay. We love making a good impression. It, for us, it's important to make a good impression. But we also, oh man, we don't like lack of integrity. We don't like people playing a game. We want people to be the real deal. Um, I'm going to speak to you today specifically on the subject of integrity. And I'm going to read you a psalm. And this psalm was written by a man called Asaph. And Asaph was writing. And at the end of this psalm, he's describing the life of King David. King David was an ancient, famous king in the Old Testament. And he's describing the life of King David's. And he's kind of giving you the, the headline of his life. He's summing up his life. He's saying, this is what King David's is all about. Listen to what he says. Psalm 78, verse 70. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, and he brought him to be shepherds of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. Say that with me. David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. So this is, the, this is Asaph writing. He's, Asaph was one of the staff who worked for David's and he's writing towards the end of David's life and having looked at David's life, he's kind of giving you the conclusion of David's life and he's saying, David's shepherded them with integrity. That's a pretty, I mean, would, you, would you not like that, the epitaph of your life? That, wow, those people lived with an integrity. That's the kind of hallmark of your life. And people around you want you to be a person of integrity. Wouldn't that be a great epitaph for your life? Say, yes, Peter. Yeah, it'd be really important. What does integrity mean? Well, sometimes we dig into the original languages. And like, for example, the Psalms were written in Hebrew. And I could dig into the original language of Hebrew. Or we could take you to the New Testament where integrity is mentioned and it's in Greek. But actually, whether it's Hebrew, Greek, or English... The word integrity has the exact same root meaning. It means completeness, consistency, no duality. What it means is that you are the same person on the outside as you are on the inside. It means that what you see is what you get. Kanye West, who's just released his album, Jesus is King. And isn't that fantastic? He's, just, he's gone real public with this new faith he's got. Jesus is King. He was interviewed by Jimmy Kimball, and Jimmy Kimball said, so Kanye, are you now a Christian musician? And Kanye said, no, I'm a Christian everything. And that's what integrity means. It's not just that this aspect of your life, that's Christian. It's like all through every aspect of your life has integrity. It's the bits that people see. It's the bits that people don't see. It's the bit when you're at work. It's the bit when you're at church. It's the bit when you're at home. It's everything in your life. There's a completeness. There's no duality. It's not like you're this in one way and this in another way. It's the whole deal. The inside matches the outside. Your behavior matches your beliefs. Your private life matches your public life. What you say matches what you do. That's integrity. Now, the opposite of integrity is the word hypocrisy. Say, uh-oh, hypocrisy is when it's not what you say is what you do and it's not what you do is who you are it's it is a there's a conflict it's 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 not a consistency it's not a completeness it is duality it's pretending the word hypocrite in the in the bible actually is 
originally meant an actor. That you're putting on a persona. You're, you're pretending to be someone that you're not. And Jesus actually had more problem with the hypocrites, the Pharisees, who looked like everything was great. And yet behind the scenes, he just knew their heart. He had more of a problem with people like that than he had with overt sinners like prostitutes. Isn't that interesting? Jesus can handle an honest sinner, but he cannot handle a dishonest religious person. Um, So Jesus had this problem with hypocrites, and so do we. Integrity is so important. There was a study carried out in America uh, by two guys, James Patterson and Peter Kim, and they published this study in a book in 1991 entitled The Day America Told the Truth. And it was the publishing of the largest large-scale study on morality ever conducted in America. The largest large-scale study on morality. And people were asked the question, as part of the study, what would you do for $10 million? The Americans were asked this question. And this, is, this was the results, and it's shocking. 25% of people said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% of them said they would become prostitutes for a week for $10 million. 10% said that they would withhold testimony in a court case and allow a murderer to go free for $10 million. 7% of them said they would marry, a, sorry, that's worse, murder a stranger. They would kill a stranger for $10 million. Ah, wow, just be careful what crowd of Americans you're hanging out with, folks. 3% of Americans said they would put their children up for adoption for $10 million. Some of you are thinking, I would do that for 100 quid. <laughs> Don't, inside thought, inside, not an outside thought, inside thought. Okay, 10 million. You think, wow. I mean, how bad are these Americans, folks? How bad are these Americans? Because for sure, if that same survey was carried out in Britain, I'm sure the results would be very different. Do you not think? I don't think. You're a bunch of sinners. You turn out worse. I would add percentages to their percentages if the same survey was carried out in Scotland and in the UK, right? The point is this. It's not, oh, how bad the Americans are. It's how bad are we? We're so sinful. We put on this persona, but on the inside, you see hypocrisy. There's two kinds of hypocrisy. One kind of hypocrisy is... Your, your behavior on the outside sometimes isn't good. But on the inside, man, you genuinely want to, your motives are good. But your behavior is not good. Anyone inflicted with that kind of hypocrisy? My hand's up. Because that's the, that's the person who, man, I really wanted to do the right thing. But actually my behavior wasn't good. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have been like that. That's... That's an honest kind of hypocrisy, and God can handle that. But there's another kind of hypocrisy, and that's when your behavior on the outside is impeccable. But behind the scenes, you're rotten to the core. And that's what Jesus came up against, that kind of hypocrisy, that kind of duality. He came up against that with the Pharisees. He said, on the outside, you make it all look pretty and clean, but on the inside, you're full of greed and and vile things. And God wants us to be people of integrity. Now, coming back to David's, the conclusion of David's life was David's was a man of integrity. That he he shepherded them with integrity of heart. Let me just give you a quick summary of David's life. This, This king who had integrity. 
So he started his life living in a place called Bethlehem. At the time, there was a king on the throne called Saul. Now, Saul started out well, but he went off track, and God decided, I've had enough of this guy, Saul. And a prophet called Samuel prophesied, God says to you, Saul, that you have been rejected from being king. And God has sought for himself another king, a man after his own heart, to be the king in your place. God was referring, we know, to David's. Well, what what was it about David's that made God say, that was a man after my own heart? And I think the answer was this. David recounts this in one place. He says that one day he was looking after the sheep. And when he was looking after the sheep, a lion came and took one of the sheep away. And, you know, if that was you and I, if we're honest, and we were shepherds and a lion came and stole one of the sheep away, I think you and I would be thinking, phew, right? We'd be thinking, phew, the lion didn't eat me, he ate a sheep. In fact, we, if we're honest, we might say, there's a sheep to the lion, okay, right? That, that's what we would do, but not David's. David was a Glaswegian. David went after the lion. He decked the lion. He killed the lion and stole the sheep back. And he said, don't you eat that? You couldn't really even say, don't you eat that, because it was dead. So, and he rescued the sheep. Same happened with the bear. David rescued the sheep from the... And I, do you know what I think? I think God looked down and said, wow, if that's how intensely passionate he is about looking after sheep, and he will lay his life down on behalf of sheep, then I'm going to trust David's with my people, a whole nation. Because the proving ground is how we are behind the scenes. And then that prepares us for who we are in public. And I think God saw, he said, that's a man after my own heart. Why would God say he's a man after my heart? Well, because 2,000 years ago, God saw the state of the human race and we were being devoured by a predator. He's called Satan. He's the enemy of your soul. He's not your friend. He's a real being and he holds sway over the human race because of our sin. And Satan, our arch enemy, like a predator, was devouring the human race, holding the power of death over them and making people to be eternally lost. But God in his radical love, just like David's, said, I'm not having that. And God entered into human history. It's called the incarnation. Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem, visited by shepherds, same, same territories where David was a shepherd. And Jesus Christ came. Why did he come? He came to live and die on a cross. And when he died on the cross, he shed his blood to rescue and ransom us from the power of Satan, from the power of death, from the power of hell, from the power of our own sin. So that in Jesus, you can be forgiven, you can be free, you can have eternal life through Jesus, who is God, who has that radical heart saying, I'm not going to let you be devoured by that predator. I'm going to rescue you from the clutches of death and Satan and sin, and you're going to be my people. You're going to be part of my flock. And this, this Savior who did this for us is risen from the dead, and he is present among us today. Let's hear it for Jesus. He's amazing. Jesus, we love you. Now, you might today, you, today you might not be saved. What I mean by that is, you're still away from God. You're still under the influence of Satan's attack. And you, you, you don't know what it is to be forgiven for your sin. And when you die, you're going to be lost. God doesn't want that for you. That's why you're here. That's why you're here joining us online. That's why you're here joining us in person. Today, he wants to rescue your soul. He won't force it on you. He's a gentleman. And today, if, if you're willing and you trust in Jesus, you will be saved eternally. I'll give you that opportunity at the end of what, when I finish sharing 
So God saw this David and he said, man, that's just like my heart. I'm the God who intervenes. And I love that in David. So David elevated him and Samuel the prophet came to David's family house. David was chosen to be the next king, even though Saul was already on the throne being king. Next thing we see of David is the moment when Goliath, that giant's champion from the Philistines, standing out and defying the people of Israel. Everyone was scared to take him on. But David, with a faith in God, simple faith in God, stepped out and took on Goliath. And with a slingshot, but with big faith in his heart, he took out Goliath. All of a sudden, he went from being someone who God noticed to being someone that the whole nation noticed. And then it wasn't long before that that Saul started becoming very jealous of David. Aware that God had now left Saul, Saul was now looking on at David and thinking, man, if I'm not careful, he's going to become king next. And he became very jealous and starts trying to kill David. So David spends the next seven years plus of his life on the run for his life, hiding in caves, hunt, being hunted down like an animal. During that time, what's incredible, if you read the, the verses in 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll discover that David continued to operate with great integrity. He didn't allow the circumstance he was under to treat people differently. He kept honoring Saul, even though Saul was dishonoring him. He, kept, he refused to create any rebellion or mutiny because that is a, as a, as a sin of witchcraft. It's a terrible sin, any rebellion or mutiny or division. That, that is not God's agenda. And David refused to have that. He operated with integrity. And then eventually, age 30, Saul died and David became the king, just as God had promised. And then he became the king over all Israel in Jerusalem when he was 37. And he was this great king. God promised David that after you, David's, you will have a son on the throne who will have an eternal kingdom. And sure enough, Solomon rose up after David's. And after Solomon, there was Rehoboam and all these in the family line of David, there was kings. But the ultimate king was born in the family line of David's to Mary and Joseph, Jesus Christ, born in that royal lineage, just like God promised. And Jesus has that eternal kingdom and he's building the house, the church of Jesus Christ. Bless you. <laughs> How cool is that? So there's, there's David, a king, man after God's own heart, a man of integrity. Now, if that's all you heard of David, you'd say, absolutely. What a great man of integrity. But you know, if you've read your Bible, he had one major midlife crisis. He had the craziest midlife crisis that you can imagine. One night, he was on his rooftop terrace and there is, he was looking out, he couldn't sleep. As he was on his rooftop terrace, he looks out. And there, on one of the neighboring rooftop terraces in Jerusalem, there was a lady having a bath on her roof. And she didn't have any clothes on. You imagine she was having a bath, and she didn't have any clothes on. On her roof. And you know the crazy thing was? She was called Bathsheba. What are the chances? You think, man, this is a, this, how did this all work out? This person called Bathsheba was having a bath. She didn't have any clothes on. In the bath, on her roof terrace. And David, instead of saying, snap out of it, Dave, he just, kind of, he just kept looking. And he started lusting. And he gave way to the lust. And he, he used his royal privileges to organize for her to come to his house. And he had an affair with her that night. She sent back to her house. She fell pregnant. And David now has got a trouble, problem on his hands. And to cover his tracks, he orchestrates the murder of Bathsheba's husband. And then after he is dead, he brings Bathsheba to be his own wife. 
It was a terrible, horrendous, dark episode in David's life. And people look around and think, well, what about it? Asaph's just written a psalm at the end of David's life. Oh, man of integrity, this David. And you think, what? There's no integrity at all about that. That's a mess. I mean, that's a mess. He's an adulterer and he's a murderer. And, you know, this is this kind of how on earth he's failed as a husband, he's failed as a father, he's failed as the king, and he's failed as a man of God. How at the end of his life is it possible for someone like that, a failure, to have the title he shepherded them with integrity. And I just want to say this to you folks. You know, there, was a, there was a story of a man called Alfred Nobel who lived way back in the 19th century. He was a Swedish chemist, famous for inventing dynamite. One day, Alfred Nobel woke up and opened the morning newspaper to discover his own obituary written in the newspaper. I mean, wow, who gets the chance to read their own obituary? So he read his own obituary thinking, what? And he hadn't died. And the obituary read as follows. Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, died yesterday. Now, his brother had died yesterday. Not Alfred Nobel. The journalist had got them muddled up. But he mistakenly wrote Alfred Nobel's obituary. He said, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, died yesterday. He devised ways of making more people to be killed in war. He died a very rich man. I mean, he saw this obituary and thought, I don't want that to be my legacy. So in that moment, he'd made a decision right there and then that he would use his money to leave a legacy every year uh, to be distributed to people who advanced the cause of peace. And so the Nobel Peace Prize came into being. So forever, the inventor of dynamite associated his name instead with the cause of peace. So when you say Nobel, you would think, oh, the Nobel Peace Prize. You wouldn't instantly think the inventor of dynamite. And he said this, he made this point. He said, every man or woman ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph midstream and write a new one. Today I was going to speak to you on integrity, right? And I thought, I know, I'll speak to them from Joseph. Because Joseph's a great example of integrity in the Old Testament. Because like, when he was tempted to have an affair, he ran. And even though he was falsely accused, he hadn't done anything wrong. What a great person. What a great example of integrity. That would have been the great example. So there was Joseph. And then I read this verse about David. There's David over here who blew it. And yet at the end of his life, thank God, he got to rewrite his epitaph. And it was, he was actually a man of integrity. And I thought, Joseph, David. And then I thought of you folks. I thought, which one of these two would most resemble the lives of the congregation I lead? And I thought, sorry, Joseph, it's got to be David. (laughs) Because actually, messed up people, hypocrites, there is hope. Failure isn't falling down. Failure is staying down. Failure is an event. It's not a person. And God is the God who, no matter what you have done, is the God who can turn it around. And incredibly, you can have a different epitaph from the one you ought to have had and I ought to have had because of our sinful behavior. Say, thank God. So, how do you see a turnaround? First of all, you've got to do what David did. He confessed. 
He confessed his sin. I mean, Nathan the prophet came and as he was in the middle of this midlife crisis, he wasn't listening to anyone, but Nathan the prophet came and had enough gumption and love to challenge David and tell him that what God was saying that what he was doing was so wrong. And David, it's like he woke up. He woke up from this slumber he'd been in. He realized the total depravity of his ways. And in Psalm 51, you can read the whole Psalm yourself. He cries out to God, Psalm 51 verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And so all of a sudden, God, who he had sinned against, forgave him. Do you know, I know we, we, we kind of classify sins. You've got small sins, you've got big sins. I understand that. And some sins have, are huge. And some sins have massive consequences. I don't believe all sins are the same. I don't. I don't believe. I don't see that in the Bible. Every sin is different. And some sins have massive consequences. Huge consequences. And this, these, these two, adultery and murder, are two such sins. And yet, no matter the scale of your sin, the scale of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for you when God shed his blood for you was so much greater than the scale of any sin you can ever commit. God forgave his sin. God can forgive your sin. Confess your sin. He can't forgive you if you don't confess it, but if you confess it, 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You need blood to cleanse your sin. Most blood would leave a stain. And yet this blood, when Jesus shed his blood, it's the blood that can cleanse your stain, your soul stain. Your soul can be clean even though your behavior hasn't been. You can be declared righteous by God because you're loved and because God has done something for you. Isn't that good news? So drag that sin into the light, kicking and screaming. Drag it out into the light. Confess your sin. Bring it into the light. And as you live in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Any messed up people, hypocrites, sinners, glads about this good news about blood that was shed that can cleanse our sins. Yeah, me too. It's the best news ever. Thank you, Jesus. So confess, repent. Repent means change your minds. Now, I know we think repent means change your behavior, and it does. It results in that, but it starts on the inside. It actually means change your minds. In other words, don't justify what you've been doing. Don't pretend that, don't say, oh, oh, this is just my thing. It's not your thing. It's sin. Don't, don't justify it. Don't, don't say, oh, it's, it's just who I am. No, it's not who you are. Repent. Change your mind about it. Say, no, it's not acceptable. Repent. And then commit. Say commit. Commit to a life of integrity. Um, David's son Solomon wrote in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, the little foxes that spoil the vines. You see, most people don't have big areas in their life lacking integrity. Mostly, it's just the little stuff. It's the little things we tolerate that undermines our integrity. It's flirting with someone at work. And you don't altogether discourage it. Because you quite like it, even though you know it's wrong. It's dating. And when you're dating, you keep crossing sexual purity lines. And you think, I shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this. But you just keep going there. It's, you're a small group leader, but you're habitually masturbating and looking at pornography. It's 
you're exaggerating your expenses claim at work and you're expecting God to bless your finances. It's, you're nice at work, but then when you get home, you're just a nightmare to be around. It's that. It's you're calling in sick to work and you start... <coughs> and you're coughing and splitting. I mean, you should get an Academy Award, right? You're coughing. And then you spend the day in the guile doing your shopping. What? I've seen you there. <laughs> it's, you know, when the person you just don't want to see calls at your door or f- picks up the phone and calls you and, and your son answers the phone and you say, tell him I'm not in. Well, you can't then complain when they're older if they go lie because that's what they've learned from you. It's, you, you're in the shop and they give you too much change and you count the change and you think, praise the Lord and you want no listen no it wasn't the blessing of God go back and (laughs) confess it's cutting corners at work when your boss isn't looking it's that stuff it's the little foxes that spoil the vine it's not typically it's not the huge things it's lots of little things let me end with three benefits of integrity three reasons why I'm advocating commit to this life of integrity number one integrity results in legacy say legacy now when i'm saying legacy i'm not talking about some financial legacy i'm talking about the impact you leave on those who follow it says in proverbs chapter 20 verse 7 a righteous man who walks in integrity bear in mind solomon david's son wrote this a righteous man who walks in integrity how blessed are his sons after him how blessed are his sons after him Every so often at church, we have baby dedications where uh, we, the family brings the little one along. We, we pray blessing on the baby, pray blessing on the family. It's a great, great moment to celebrate. There was a baby dedication in church, and one day, and they were driving home, and Jason, the older brother of the baby, was in the back of the car crying as, as they were going home. And the dad turned to Jason and said, why are you crying, son? And he asked him three times. Eventually, Jason said, uh, dad... When the pastor prayed blessing on, on my little brother, uh, in his prayer he said that he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home. But dad, I wanted to stay with you guys. <laughs> oh man, we've got we've to live the stuff, not just in public, but behind the scenes. So you've got to confess, drag this, your sin, drag it into the light repent change your mind about how you're living and commit to a life of integrity but there's a step in the middle it's not just confess repent and commit right in there have another step called put it right put right it's it's the people that your lack of integrity has impacted negatively it's the boss who knows you've been doing that it's it's the way you've been treating your spouse it's the example you've been setting in front of your kids. Or it's the person who's your neighbor that because of your lack of integrity, they've been put off Christianity. So don't just confess, repent, and commit. Confess, repent, go and put it right, and commit. Yeah, a few years back, my dad, and I love my dad. Dad's uh, 92 now. And my dad is, is and has been a fantastic dad. Wasn't perfect, but was a fantastic dad. But some things were pricking his conscience. And he came to me a few years back and he said, son, I just want to say to you 
that I don't think I was always the best dad or always the best husband to your mum. And you know, there would have been times where I would have agreed. But he said, son, I just want to say, I'm really sorry for that. I'm really sorry for that. Wow. That's big, folks. That's big. Confess. Repent. Put it right. Don't think, oh, they're over it. No, no, put it right. And commit. David's, his son Solomon, and this is the amazing, crazy thing, is that David and Bathsheba went on to have another son called Solomon, who became the next king. I mean, that's just, it it was a messy situation, and yet God accomplished his purpose through that. And Solomon, because, because of Solomon, we have the book of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, you know, it was a whole chunk in the Bible we wouldn't have had were it not for the craziest mistake ever. And that's just ironic. It's God just turning things for the good, like God does all the time in our lives and in the Bible. In Proverbs, it's just a collection of sayings, wise sayings by Solomon, advice he's giving. And in Proverbs chapter 4, he tells you that he's often sharing things in the Proverbs that he had learned himself from his own dad's. In other words, David's advice to Solomon was what now Solomon was conveying to us in the book of Proverbs. That's interesting. His father's advice, now he's giving fatherly advice to his sons. So what was David's advice to Solomon? But listen, to this, listen to this, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. From the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, and her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I'm saying. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. This is David's giving advice to Solomon. That's crazy. I mean, you think about it. Basically, it's David saying, Solomon, don't go near people like your mum. That's what he's saying. Don't go near people like your mum. Okay, you might be suggesting, don't go near people like your mum and don't act like your dads. That's what he's saying. And this is why at the end of David's life, he was able to be declared a man of integrity. You see, integrity doesn't mean perfection. Integrity, because otherwise not one human being on earth would have integrity. Integrity means you're real. It means you have exposed the inside and the outside It's just all out there. You've dragged your sin out into the open. You're living in the light. You're not living with shadows. You're living a life of integrity. doesn't mean perfection. It does mean you're being real. And the legacy, even though you've made mistakes, the legacy can be good if you learn to put right. Number two, integrity gives you influence. Say influence. The Apostle Peter in the New Testament talks about this and gives two, two examples. First example is in marriage, second example is in the workplace. First example in marriage, he says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the words, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. So what it's saying here is it's saying, it's describing a situation where the woman, the wife is a believer, but her husband's isn't a believer. And the example here is saying, okay, so if that's the case, then she's already told the husband about Jesus. How do I know that? Well, it says he doesn't believe the words. In other words, he heard the word, she's just not believing it. 
So she's told him about Jesus. She's told him about the cross. She's told him he can be forgiven. He's told him he can have a new life. All right. So he says, honey, thanks for sharing that. I'm not interested. So what do you do, ladies? Don't the next day, let me tell you about Jesus again. Okay. Then the next day, have you thought about Jesus? Okay. Do you know what? That's called nagging. And there's a Bible verse about that. So do not nag. It's your, the Bible verse says you're a dripping tap if you didn't know what that was. Okay, you're, you're like a dripping tap. Stop nagging. Just leave him. You've told him. You've, you've heard, he's heard the message. So what do you do now? You start preaching him in, in a different way. So what you've done now, you've preached with your words. Now what you need to do is start preaching with your life, ladies. So just live an amazing life. Live a courageous, faith-filled life. Have sex often at home. Love him to bits. Respect him. Cheer him on. Then I tell you what, he's going to say, I want to become a Christian. Yeah. And then things will turn around. It could work the other way around. If if you're a husband and you've got an unbelieving wife, then by absolutely share your faith. But once you share it, then don't keep going on about it. Just love them to bits. Let your life preach as loudly as your words. You see what I'm saying? That's how you win people. Now, Peter gives that principle and then he brings it right back to your workplace. At the end of the chapter, same chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So, in other words, be ready to give an answer. In other words, that's your words. That's your preaching. That's your words. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed for their slander. So in other words, even if they say, oh, you're this or you're that, they just know in the heart. They're not really. They actually walk this talk. They live this life. In other words, this is your works. This is your practice. So it's not just your words. It's your works. It's not just your preaching. It's your practice. You're practicing what you're preaching. And this is how you will win people over. This is how you will impact people in your workplace. This is how you will impact people in your, in your family. This is how you'll impact people who don't believe in Jesus in your, in your educational establishment, in your university or your college, or in your family, in your community, in your neighborhoods. So here's the thing. Gospel speaking without gospel living is off-putting. If you're telling people about Jesus, but your life doesn't look like what you're saying... That's hypocrisy, and it'll put people off Jesus. Conversely, gospel living minus gospel speaking is negligence. So you're living the life. People look on and think, oh, there's a very good person, but you never say anything about Jesus. You keep your faith, you play your cards too close to your chest. And I get that if you tell someone about your faith, they might reject you. I get that. But they also might not. It also might save them. You're carrying the medicine for their greatest disease. You're carrying the answer to the all of all answers. Can't keep that to yourself. That's negligence. Gospel living plus gospel speaking is life changing. You've told them about your faith. You've told them about Jesus. Then you don't go on and on about it because they'll start avoiding you. Instead, you start living it. Start being the best work colleague. Start being the best employer or employee. Just be a blessing in your neighborhood. Love your spouse to bits. Just be the real deal through and through. It will win over your work colleagues. 
All my work colleagues are now followers of Jesus. <laughs> All 22 members of church staff are now saved. I can confirm. <laughs> I'm kidding you on. Hey, I've lived this, folks. I've worked for the first five years of the church. I worked full-time as an architect in the city. And this, this, I'm not saying I did it perfectly, but this is, this, that equation there is what I lived to try and achieve. And then final point is this. Integrity brings spiritual protection over your life. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks, walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. You know, if you're living with crookedness, if you're living with shadows, if you're living with skeletons in your closet, you'll be found out. That's just the nature of things. Things that are hidden come to light. That's just, it's, just, it's, just a, it's just a fact. It's a spiritual law. Things hidden will be exposed. So either you expose it or it will be exposed on your behalf. You can't live with shadows. And you don't want to live with this hypocrisy and always looking over your shoulder. What if they see my search history? What if they see where I spe- how they spent that money? What if they know what I said about them? What if they- it comes back to them what I said, right? So if you're living crooked, it, 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 you're kind of living with a paranoia all the time. God doesn't want you living that way. I remember way back in, in high school, before I was a Christian, before you judge me, before I was a Christian, okay? I, it was a biology class, and I remember it was the biology class where you got to dissect the bullseye. Did anyone else have that biology class? That was a weird one, right? Remember that you got, everyone was given a bullseye and a scalpel, and then you would talk through how to dissect this bullseye. And I was sitting there with my bullseye in front of me, and the class was face, all facing forward, and Mr. McGregor, the, the biology teacher, he turned his back to the class to write on the board for a few minutes. And when he did that, his back was turned, so I threw my bullseye up in there just to throw it and catch it, just for a laugh. But it got stuck to the ceiling. I threw it too hard. It actually, not joking, I'm not... It's it stuck to the ceiling. He looked up and his eye looking back down at you. It's stuck to the ceiling. And I thought, no, when's it going to drop? So the teacher was still back turned to the boards. And then after a minute or so, he still hadn't dropped. He turned back and starts talking to the class. And I'm, I'm one of the rows quite close to the front. And I'm sitting in a cold sweat, hoping he doesn't look down, notice there's no eyeball. And hoping that while he's standing, looking at me, literally three meters in front of me, it's not like in the middle of him talking to me that suddenly... Doom, it drops in front of him, right? So I'm sitting there paranoid, thinking, man, I'm gonna get, my crooked ways are going get to me, get me caught out. And then he turned back to the board. And as he turned back to the board, the bullseye dropped. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It wasn't long after that I became a Christian. I became a Christian. <laughs> so but you live with hypocrisy. You live, you're going to get caught out. Eventually, what's going on is going to come forth. Let me just, quick side point. As church staff, we believe in integrity. One of the things, just so you, just so you know, um, all church staff, we insist that they have Covenant Eyes internet monitoring on their computers, and we encourage them to have it on their tablets and their phones as well. That means everything that I look at, look at on the internet, my wife gets a report, and Graham Williamson gets a report. And I don't know which one of those is scarier. But either way, they, 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 see, they see what I'm looking at on the internet. Everyone else on staff, what they're looking at on the internet is known by someone else. We're living in the light. Secondly, we encourage people to, we have strict policies about how we do meetings. I will never have a one-to-one pastoral meeting with a woman, and I would, uh, behind closed doors. Maybe in a public place at the back of the balcony when other staff are around, or, you know, in a public place, but never behind closed doors. I would never give a lift to a female by herself in my car. 
never going to happen. And I encourage all pastors, men and women pastors, to operate in the same way. Because that's, that's, that's integrity. We have financial integrity. I do not have any say on what my salary is as, as, as the pastor of this church. I don't have a say in it. It's set for me. And it's not set by the staff that I employ. It's set by an independent team. Some of you are in this room. We call them the business advisory team. They're people who are working in the, in the business, in the workplace. Some of them work for banks. Some of them work for legal firms or accountancy firms. And they give us advice on what salary levels should be. And we, had, we pretty much we adhere to their advice. And that is applied to me. So I don't have a say in that. Uh, we, we have strict policies on how we handle our finances. And do you know what? Here's, here's the way I see it. it it's only integrity. If I'm going to ask you to give, for example, in, over the years when we've given to special projects like 2020 Vision, I can't ask you folks to do that if my wife and I aren't doing the same. I've got to lead with my seat. I can't ask you to give if I'm not at least sacrificially giving. I can't ask you to love your spouses if I'm not doing everything I can, albeit imperfectly, to do everything I can to try and love my spouse. I can't, I can't preach on something and then expect you to do something that I'm not first preaching to myself. That's integrity. Integrity will protect you. And let me end with a final verse. In the Old Testament, there was a king. He had made a wrong choice, but he didn't know it. He had seen a woman who he thought would be a great wife for him. He brought her to live in his palace. He didn't know anything other. He didn't know that she was married to another man and she didn't tell him. So he was operating in effect in lack of integrity, but in his heart, he was trying to do the right thing. Do you understand the difference? And this is what happened. God gave him a dream. Genesis chapter 20. God said to him, called King Abimelech, in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you've done this. And I also have kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. It's not just that practically speaking, you're going to be safer. It's that also God will have your back covered. That even when, it, even when you're making the wrong choice, if your heart is to do the will of God, he'll intervene. He'll protect you from that cliff edge. He will stop you from the consequences of your own mistakes, even though sometimes you don't know you're making those mistakes. Folks, David was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. And church, we are not a perfect people, but we are a redeemed people. Blood has cleansed us. We've been declared righteous and saved by the king of the universe, Jesus Christ. And because of that, we want to do everything we can publicly and privately to live in a way that brings him honor and glory and causes people to say, I am interested in your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the story of David's gives us hope because like David's not one person here or connecting online has lived a perfect track record we have all got things that we wish we'd never done never said never acted in that way but we give thanks to you Jesus thank you so much that your blood cleanses sin thank you God that we get to like Alfred Nobel we get to rewrite our epitaph because of the grace of God. That we don't need to live with the, the crazy mistakes we've done defining our future. But by God's grace, our future can be defined by that incredible grace that saves us. So thank you, God. Eternally thank you for that salvation. Thank you for saving us sinners. Thank you, God. Under your breath, 
why not just take a moment to say thank you God for his salvation thank you for his forgiveness thank him for his grace and today you know why not do what David did confess if you're living with shadows in your life drag those sins into the light or they will drag you into the darkness drag them into the light confess your sin first to God and then maybe to others repent for your sin don't justify it anymore don't say oh it's okay no one notices or it's just a small thing no it's often the small things that take you out confess repent hey go put it right Maybe God's placing in your mind, maybe you need to go home today and apologize to your wife because you've been coming to church, you're doing the Christian thing, but you get home and you're a grumpy so-and-so. Maybe, maybe wives, you, you've been living in such a way that you just think, I haven't, been, I haven't been respecting my husbands. I keep putting them down. I've been denying him. I, just go put it right. Maybe parents, you've been, you haven't been living the Christian life at home. And you're... And there's nothing more off-putting as kids looking on. And maybe some of us as adults remember looking on as kids thinking, what is that Christianity? Hey, go put it right, parents. Go put it right. And at work, live this life. Commit to living this life, church. Monday to Friday. In fact, 24-7. While people are praying, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you're here today, and you haven't yet got a relationship with Jesus, whether you're joining us online or whether you're here in person. God loves you and God knows you, and he wants to be in relationship with you today. So I mentioned it earlier, but if today you're saying, Peter, that's me, I want to know his forgiveness. I want to know this new start that he alone can give. Then this is your moment. Pray this prayer with me, just under your breath. Repeat after me one line at a time. Dear Lord God, Thank you for your amazing love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me in that cross. You shed your blood so I could be forgiven. And I ask for that forgiveness today. I confess I am a sinner. And I choose to now become a follower of yours, Lord Jesus. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you you're alive right now. Be Lord of my life from now on. Take first place. God, thank you for hearing my prayer and for accepting me today as your child.